0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Well, good morning. morning. We're going to be in 2 Peter again this week, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles. Born in 1941, Spencer Silver received his doctorate from UC Boulder in 1966 and was eventually hired as a chemist by 3M. In 1968, he was working on creating a pressure-sensitive adhesive that could be used on aircraft. But his first few attempts were complete duds. The adhesive was pressure-sensitive, but it didn't really stick to anything. But Dr. Silver still patented his dud called Acrylate Copolymer Microspheres, filed it away for another day. Well, another day came about six years later when a colleague of his named Dr. Fry was describing to Dr. Silver how frustrated he was that his bookmarks kept falling out of the hymnal, um, uh, his hymnal at choir practice at church. He said, you know, I wish there was a way that we could stick bookmarks to the pages in the Bible without ruining the Bible when you took the bookmarks off. And Dr. Silver said, well, I might be able to help you with that. (laughs) After a little bit of work, 1977, 3M released press and peel bookmarks in four different cities to a catastrophic loss. It It was a massive flop. But believing that they had something... A little more work in the lab and a huge marketing investment. In 1979, 3M released acrylate copolymer microspheric coated paper to the world, otherwise known as Post it Notes. <laughs> and over a little more than 40 years, as it's been since they were released, not including the generic brands, just the brand name Post it Notes has raked in $50 billion and currently holds a $2 billion market share per year. Just for little sticky pieces of paper. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's quite a, a mistake. But the question was, is why was this mistake so successful? How, how does a little piece of sticky turn into a $2 billion share of our GDP? Well, fast forward from Dr. Silver's office in the mid-70s, to my office last week. And I was meeting with a a pastor friend of mine. We're talking about our sermon series, and as was the intention, some good ideas are popping up. Things are are being talked about, and so I I didn't want to forget them. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, but my friend said, dude, we've only been here for like 10 minutes, and you have a pile of sticky notes going on your desk. What's going on? And I explained to him the wonders of ADD, that I could do 10 things at once, but I can't remember what you said five minutes ago. And so I needed these things. And somewhat ironically, I guess, I immediately reached for another sticky note because it dawned on me that the reason post-it notes are so successful is not because the invention is such an incredible invention, as much as it's because they tapped into a human condition. And Dr. Silver and, and Dr. Fry had inadvertently tapped into the human condition of forgetfulness, which is as severe as it is universal. There's a permanent market for what they have to sell because we are so forgetful. Well, about 2,000 years before the invention of post-it notes, there was another guy who knew the same thing about how forgetful we are. His name was Peter. And he wants to talk about, uh, to us about that this morning. If you look at Second Peter in, verse, in chapter one, beginning in verse 12, Peter says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. This morning, Peter is going to lay a reminder on us. And What I really want to press into you this morning, what I really want you to hear from Peter this morning, is that we are in constant need of reminding. We, we are in constant need of reminding. Look again at what Peter says in verse 12. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will, soon, will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, to greatly simplify what Peter is saying, to condense that paragraph into a few words, Peter is saying, I am writing to remind you by way of reminder so you can remember. That's what he's saying. I think it's safe to say that Peter wants us to remember something. So, what exactly is it that Peter wants us to remember? You won't believe how bad right now I want to say I forgot. But that would be kind of cheesy, wouldn't it, Rob? Okay. Seriously, though, what is it that Peter wants us to remember? Because if you look in verse 13 and 14 again, he describes this sense of urgency that, that he's about to put off his body. He's about to die. And, and he wants to remind us of something before he dies. And, and whatever this is, it's, it's something that's so important that he's chosen some of his last words to include it. Now, what he wants us to remember, it's really not super complicated if you look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And if you'll remember, the qualities he's speaking of are those that we saw last week in verses 5 through 9. They're they're those qualities that should be increasing in the Christian life because the increase of those qualities is how we both confirm our election and keep from falling. By growing in virtue and godliness and knowledge and brotherly affection and, and, and those kind of things, That's how we confirm that God is at work in us, and it's also how we keep from falling. That's the qualities, he says, I intend always to remind you of. But if you look a little closer at verse 12, there's something there that should cause a question in your mind. He says on the one hand, at the end of verse 12, he says, we know these qualities and are established in them. But then at the beginning of verse 12, he says that we always need a reminding about them. So which is it, Peter? Do we know them or do we need to be reminded? Are we established in them or do you need to tell us over and over and over again? Here's what I believe Peter is saying. The short answer is yes. The proper answer is this. We need to be reminded that just knowing these things isn't enough. Just knowing we need to increase in godliness is insufficient. To to put it plainly, Peter is saying, we need to be reminded that just sitting in church and saying amen after we hear a a principle of growing in godliness isn't enough if that amen does not translate to action. To hear and to know what Peter is saying, that we are are supposed to increase in our godliness, to hear that and to even really feel it and even to really want it, and then for that not to translate into action, it's not enough. So I intend to always remind you that these qualities be a part of your life, not just a part of your head. I believe if Peter lived today, he probably would have worn Nikes. Because in essence, what he's saying is, just do it. Stop singing about it, or keep singing about it. Let's leave it that way. Keep singing about it, keep learning about it, and now do it. We are in constant need of reminding. Reminding that our knowledge must be reflected in our actions. We need to be reminded that our knowledge of God's sovereignty must be reflected in our increasing peace and security and trust and the lessening of our anxiety and fear and control. We need to be reminded that our knowledge of God's grace to us that must be exhibited in the increase of our brotherly love and grace shown to others. For the parents out there that are doing the good work of of catechizing your children, I would ask the question, do you put as much emphasis on the result of that catechism as you do on the learning of it? Do you put as much pressure on their behavior of what you're catechizing them in as you put in their memorization? Or, Or are they just allowed to learn a bunch of stuff that doesn't reflect in their life? Peter is saying what, what good, educated American Christians need to be reminded of, our faith without works is dead. I want you to think of it this way. That the size of a building, it reveals the depth of its footings. You can't build a skyscraper on some cinder blocks that you put on the ground. And caissons and, and, and pilings and helical piers are worthless. They're useless for a garden shed. Though we are established in these truths, Peter says, and these doctrines, though we know of these qualities that we're supposed to be increasing in, he's saying we are in need of reminding that knowing we need to grow and growing are two different things. Knowing we need to grow in godliness and actually growing in godliness are very, two very, very different things. What's above ground must reflect what's below ground. And the, and the reason why Peter is saying this is needed is the same reason as it was 2,000 years ago. Because we forget. We put it out of our minds. And if we're honest with ourselves, the, the, the real answer is this the real answer is that knowledge is easy, it's safe. Knowing something is very not demanding. It doesn't require a lot of action. But action, action is dangerous. Following Christ and truly growing in these qualities, that carries some real risk. Action takes effort and fortitude and conviction and possibly even pain. Because action is visible. So Peter is saying what every Christian needs to hear. He's saying we are in constant need of being reminding that our, our building needs to match our foundation. And what Peter knows is that action is what reveals true faith. What Peter knows is that, that our Savior said to him, Peter that was there and heard Jesus say in John chapter 14, If you love me, you will obey my commands. I can say I know I need to obey God all day long, but until I do, saying I love him is just words. I can say I know I need to 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 stop controlling the lives of people around me. I can say that I know I need to stop trying to put a death grip on every single little piece of my life, but until I do, saying I know that God is sovereign is just words. I can say I believe that God is gracious, but, but I don't really believe that until I show others grace. We are in constant need of reminding that our knowledge must be reflected in our actions. Now that's very close to what we talked about last week. Is Peter just repeating himself? Is Peter so sure of our forgetfulness that he thinks he needs to just say the same thing in the very next paragraph? I think the short answer is no. But look at verse 16. Because what Peter is going to tell us is that we are in need of this reminding because the return of the Jesus that Peter saw is not a myth. He says in verse 16, For we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory... Saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So, what Peter is describing in these verses is that time when he and James and John went up onto the top of Mount Tabor, just north of Jerusalem. When they went up on the top of Mount Tabor with Jesus, and and, and God peeled back. The, the, the flesh of Jesus just a smidge so that those three disciples could get a, a glimpse of who he really was. It was very similar to the time when God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by him and let Moses see just enough of God's glory that Moses didn't evaporate. And Peter says, We heard God say from heaven, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter conveniently left out the part where right after that he said, that's awesome, God, but here's what I think we should do. But that's the point. That's exactly the point. Peter is saying to us, we need to listen. Look closely again at what he says in verse 16. He says, for, we know that can be because that sounds better to us. In other words, he's saying up at the top in verse 12, I intend to remind you of your need to grow in these qualities because the truth that the Jesus we saw on that mountain is returning in power and glory. And that's not a myth. He's saying if I do one last thing before I die... I want to remind you that your faith faith must be proven by, by the increasing growth of your own godliness and holiness because the one who said, if you love me, you will keep my commands, he is returning to judge whether or not you listen to him. And Peter's saying, I was given a brief glimpse of who that is, and trust me, he's not a homeless carpenter from Nazareth. He was for a while, but he's not anymore. Peter's saying, we saw the second person of the triune Godhead. He's saying, we saw the one with the sword coming out of his mouth who's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. When Peter reflects back on this this event... He's saying these words in a sense where he is feeling something. He's not passing on information. And I really want us to understand the the feeling that Peter is describing. Because he wants us to have this same feeling when we think about God's return and and, and the impact that that he wants that to have on our life. Back in Exodus chapter 34, if you want, you can read the story about when Moses came down off off Mount Sinai after he had spent a bunch of time in the presence of God. Now, the people were already terrified because of the thunder and the lightning and and God descending on the mountain. But Exodus 34 tells us that it got worse when Moses came down off the mountain and, and his face was shining. In other words, Moses had somehow absorbed some of God's light. And by light, I don't mean like you know, the other Israelites, in the middle of the night, was like, Hey, Moses, i got to go to the bathroom. Would you bring your face over here so I can see what I'm doing? Not that kind of light. What, what Moses had somehow absorbed was the holiness of God. His character, his perfection. It's, it's, it's what the biblical writers can only describe as light. It's what terrifies man to be in the presence of, because it's so perfect. However, even though it was just a veiled, dim reflection of God's perfect holiness in the face of Moses, it terrified the people. And they said to Moses, "Put a veil over your face, because you're freaking us out, dude." <coughs> and it wasn't a veil like uh, Moses, that's kind of weird. We'll cover that up. It wasn't that kind of veil. It was a veil like Moses. I feel like Isaiah is going to feel in a few hundred years like, woe is me, I am being undone in the presence of God's perfection. That kind of fear. Brothers and sisters, Peter is saying that we are in need of reminding, reminding that our knowledge must be reflected in our actions. Reminding that if you say you believe that God is gracious, you need to let go of of those grudges. We need to be reminded that if you say you believe God is holy, you need to put off the sin. Reminding that if you say you believe God is sufficient, you need to quit looking for for satisfaction and and, and, and identity in your jobs and your bank accounts. We need to be reminded of these things. We need to be reminded of these things. To grow in godliness because the return of the Jesus that Peter saw is not a myth. It's not something he made up. It's true. The Almighty Son of Man is going to return to judge. And I want you to listen very closely to me when I say this. When Jesus does return when the Jesus that Peter witnessed on the top of of Mount Tabor, when he does return, he is going to say to no one, hey man, even though your life didn't really reflect it, yeah, I know, I know you believed. Come on, come with me. Even though nothing in your life looked like a Christian, I get that, you had some rough times, but I know in your heart, You really believed. He is going to say that to no one. We are not going to get to heaven and be relieved to find a bunch of people who had no evidence of Christ in their life, having been vindicated that that they really did believe, it's just it didn't show in any part of their life. We're not going to get to heaven and find that. Jesus is not going to come to vindicate people who say they believe and there's no evidence of it. He's going to come to confirm and judge that the people who say they believe are showing it, that it's true, it's proved, it's real. We are in constant need of reminding that we must be growing in godliness because the return of the Jesus that Peter saw is not a myth. He's coming in glory and power. However, Peter knows that there will be those skeptics who say, "Whatever, Peter, I'm, I'm glad you got to have that experience, but I wasn't there. I'll believe it if I see it." In fact, flip real quick to uh, chapter three, Second Peter chapter three and verse th- beginning in verse three. Peter's going to hit this issue again. He says in the beginning of verse 3, he says, Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, you guys keep saying Jesus is coming back and He ain't here yet for like thousands of years. Are you you sick of saying that yet? Because it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I was watching a, a, a short chunk of, of this piece they were doing on the History Channel where they look at the Bible and make up some really dumb stuff about it. But this particular one was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went into the fiery furnace. And if you'll remember in that story, those three men were put into the furnace. That furnace that was supposed to kill them, they ended up living and, and came out. But the the conclusion of this particular show on the History Channel was that the fiery furnace may have been some portal to another world that Nebuchadnezzar had figured out how to build, like a Stargate or something. Because the Bible says that after they were thrown into this furnace, Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth person in there with them. So maybe that was an alien that they got when they went into this portal to another world brought back an alien with them. I lost interest at that point, but (laughs) the point that Peter is making, and and I use that illustration to say, is that just like during Peter's time, people still say, I I can't believe that because I didn't see it. In fact, they'll say, I'll believe anything else but what the Scripture says. Like they'll say about that particular thing, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it can't be that three men survived in a fiery furnace. That's crazy talk. It must have been a portal to an alien world or something. <laughs> That's what people will say. So look at, look at what Peter says in verse 19. He says, And, which is a continuation of that four, at verse 16, Peter Peter is saying that that the testimony to Jesus found in Scripture is actually a, a better, fuller testimony than his own eyewitness account. And look again at what he says in verse 19. He says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. As a lamp shining in a dark place. We are in constant need of being reminded that our actions must reflect what we say we believe. Not only because the Jesus that Peter saw is coming back, but we're also in need of reminding because the Scriptures promise that same Jesus' return. This is what Dave Helms said about these verses 19 through 21. Just listen to this. He says, It's as if Peter, on the verge of departing from this world, he desires to lift up his voice one final time in an effort to declare to the church throughout all time, Listen to me. I was an eyewitness to the saving acts of God in history. And I know that after Christ's death and resurrection, God will have no need to ever again perform these things in the presence of another generation. He says, but remember, that doesn't mean your faith is inferior to mine. We can all read the words written down long ago. He says, Peter's saying, they are a more sure light than anything I have ever saw or heard. Beloved, my seeing these things is important. Witnesses are essential, but God does not need to appear in the flesh every 40 or 50 years to enlighten us and confirm His love to us. Seeing isn't essential for believing. Reading God's Word is. And just to be sure... Peter makes certain in verses 20-21 through to explain that all Scripture is inspired by God. All the prophets that are recorded in Scripture, he says, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's as if Peter is saying, I caught a glimpse of the glory of the One who will return in judgment. I caught a glimpse of that God. But he's saying, listen to what the One who was actually there speaking said. More than listening to what I say, I saw. Listen to the one who said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he says. He says this in in, in Psalm chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. In Psalm chapter 2 is where where this is coming from. It had to have been on Peter's mind. It says in verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now listen to this. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Like, good effort, guys. Not even close. You're not even bothering me. Then listen to what he says in verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In other words, this is This is the spirit of Jesus speaking through the prophet David saying, I will tell of my decree. You guys that think you're doing so good over here, super. But when I get back, when I come, God says, I have set my king on the holy hill and it is in he that I am well pleased. And listen to what will happen in verse 9. He says of this son of whom he is well pleased, the son that was revealed to Peter. He says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Peter was a witness to this event. When God said of Jesus on that mountain, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, Peter was a witness to that. But now Peter is telling us you'd be better to pay attention to what he said in his word. In other words, if if we were to look through this with, with modern eyes, we would say, be wise, O Cedar Springs Church, and be warned, O inhabitants of New Mexico. We need to be reminded... Reminded that the one whose glory Peter witnessed is the one whose scripture testifies will return in judgment. We need to be reminded that our lives are not our own because they have been bought by a price. We need to be reminded that we have been set free. But not set free to run around and do whatever we want. We have been set free from sin so that we are now free to obey God. We need to be be reminded that we have been set free to grow in godliness instead of sinfulness. But more importantly, what Peter is saying about those qualities is he's saying we have need of reminding that Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Ancient of Days, the one for whom and through whom all things were created we need to be reminded that the Scriptures testify that He is coming back one day to judge between those who say they believe in Him and those who show they believe in Him. To judge between those who say they trust Him and those who show they trust Him. To judge between those who say they love Him and show they love Him. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake, Peter is laying down some truth this morning. It's the kind of truth that might scare you. It might anger you. It might encourage you. I don't know where you are this morning regarding the truth of Christ's return that's that's held in scripture. I'm certain there are some of you in here who just want nothing to do with this. I'm sure there, there, there there's someone, someone in here that, that is, is thinking like, well, I just haven't seen it yet, I don't have enough evidence. There's definitely some in here who, 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 who say they believe this, but they, it just doesn't show in their life. And praise God, there are many of you in here, most of you in fact, who do believe it, and your life is increasingly reflecting the godliness that Peter is talking about. To the first three groups that I mentioned, I pray that you would heed Peter's warning this morning. That you would hear what he's saying about the return of this almighty God. to those in that last group, to those of you who do believe this and your life is showing this increase in godliness. Let me remind you of one more thing. Listen to what Peter is saying. Let me remind you that your anchor is in heaven. Let me remind you that this is not your home. Let me remind you that that your Redeemer stands ready to completely rid you of your sin and dress you in purity. Let me remind you that, that your Savior stands ready to usher you into the presence of the Father for eternity. Let me remind you that the Savior that Peter is speaking of has has prepared a place, a specific place for every single one of us. Detailed. Not a commons where we're all going to mull around, but the Savior that, that Peter is speaking of, let me remind you that when He returns, it will be to take you to the special place He has designed for you. And let me remind you, that the Scriptures testify that He, the morning star, Peter calls Him, will in fact one day rise in your heart. It's going to happen. And it's the hope and the strength that we hold on to every day to fight this fight of godliness. So let me remind you of one last thing let me remind you that the greatest desire of your heart that, that, that Peter is 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 speaking about here will surely one day be fulfilled. Let me remind you that you will see this Jesus face to face in glory. Let's pray.